live from Toronto. It's Hebsey on Sports episode number 267. That's my def- uh, that's my favorite defense pairing of all time. Oh. 267, 26 and 7. Alan Stanley, Tim Horton. Nice. Four Stanley Cups in the 60s. Thank you. It's a long time ago now, right? Uh, <laughs> hey there, sports fans. Mark Hepsher here in the partially remodeled Little Italy studio. And that's Toronto Mike in the fully remodeled Lakeshore <laughs> studio, a.k.a. the mothership in New Toronto. Today on the show, Novak Djokovic, a.k.a. public enema number one in Australia. It's the way my grandmother would have said, but he's a public enema. He's a public enema. A lot of people would like to give him a public enema, if you know what I mean. Hey, hey, guess what? He's going to get deported. He's going to get deported. Why? Because he's not a nice guy, and he wasn't respectful of other people. And there's other things, too. Stay tuned for that. That's breaking news, which we don't often have on the show. Right. Uh, there's other stuff, though. The Raptors played a game there earlier this week. I'm still thinking about it. We could have won that game against Phoenix, but boy, that was exciting. And we didn't have Scotty Barnes, and we didn't have Trent, and we took him right down to the last minute. It was very exciting. Um, Want to talk some Raptors basketball. Uh, the Leafs lost to the uh, the Phoenix, uh, what are they called? Roadrunners? <laughs> what is that team called? Coyotes. Uh, the, the worst team in hockey. The worst team ever, according to Jeff O'Neill. Like, ever. They lost to the worst team ever. But that's okay. They're playing reasonable hockey. It's exciting stuff. Although you wouldn't know it by listening to the broadcast because the announcers aren't there. Two games in a row, they didn't send anybody. Nobody to Vegas, nobody to Phoenix. Now, that's a great road trip. Imagine looking at that road trip going, hey, that's where I'm... And then they say, no, you're staying home. You're going to call the game off a monitor. You're going, no, no, it's minus 34. Please, Vegas and Phoenix, please, golf, off day. No, not going to happen. Speaking of the weather, Wild Card Weekend in the NFL features a Sunday, sorry, a Saturday night game in Buffalo. Bills and Patriots. It could be one of the coldest games on record. This is nighttime. It's going to be like 10 o'clock at night in Buffalo, minus 150. Gonna be a while. We'll talk about the NFL playoffs. Also, the passing of a Toronto baseball legend. Um, I'll talk about man, I knew the man pretty well, as well as I guess not as well as you could know someone, but boy, <laughs> man, Jack Dominico. When it came to baseball, he was the man. Uh, we'll talk about that. Our guest today on the show, author Chris Jones, who used to write for Esquire magazine, and before that wrote about the Blue Jays for the National Post, and he once bled all over George Clooney's couch. <laughs> He wrote about that too. Wow. Yeah. He's a, an interesting character. Yeah. And he used to watch Sportsline when he was a kid. So we go, we know he's a, a warped and twisted man. <laughs> his, his new book's called The Eye Test, A Case for Human Creativity in the Age of Analytics. I think that was a course I took once in university. Anyway, uh, we'll get to Chris Jones in a while. First, let's say hello to Toronto Mike. Hello, Hebsey man. How are you feeling this week? Much better, Mike. Much, much, much better. Although... Good. Mm-hmm. Although the, this COVID, you know, years and years from now, they're going to go, you know, man, remember that pandemic? And you're going to go, pandemic? What are you talking about? Remember the Djokovic <laughs> pandemic? Oh, oh, that one. <laughs> oh, that one. Oh, I'd like to uh, take a, a second here to mention to you that, you know, when I woke up this morning, I found out that uh, the Australian uh, uh, ministry, the immigration minister and the prime minister and like everybody in Australia uh, deported uh, uh, Djokovic. Like you're going to be deported. Now he's appealing that. Right. But they, they basically said, listen, if, 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 for a matter of public safety, 
you can't do this. So I want to take a second to send a message to Novak Djokovic, who, who may well be listening right now. I don't know what they've taken away from him. I don't know if he's in detention right now, but they've basically revoked his visa. So Novak, if you're listening, or any member of the Djokovic, you know, um, posse, everyone has a right to be vaccinated or not. If you choose not to, that's your choice, but you need to understand, you need to, that people who do follow the rules, people who do respect others, think you are doing the wrong thing and sending the wrong message, and they won't stand for it. You knowingly allowed yourself to be interviewed and photographed without a mask when you knew you were positive for the coronavirus? An apology isn't good enough. You traveled to Spain knowing that you were positive for the virus? No, you lied on your visa application to Australia and have never explained what the medical condition is that prevents you from getting vaccinated? I'm sorry, that's not going to wash. You've been reckless in the pa- uh, reckless in the past and you haven't had to pay any consequences at all, except you had to stay in a, in a hotel room that was below your, you know, beneath you for a few nights. That's it. Mm-hmm. So you know what you're doing is wrong, yet you persist. And now you've created a shit show, a clusterfuck of epic, epic proportion, all because you feel that you can flaunt the rules. And you've got all these other people that are saying, yeah, you go ahead. All the facilitators, all your yes men and women, your family. Oh, yeah, don't you go ahead. Because you're Novak Djokovic. Well, fuck you. All right? Lying about your medical status in the hopes of acquiring an excuse so you can set a record that you believe will immortalize you? No. Your immoral stand and complete disrespect for others will, unfortunately for you, end up being your legacy. That's what people are going to remember. Because as of this moment, your visa has been canceled by Australia's immigration minister, Alex Hawke, on the grounds of health and good order. And he also added it was in the public interest to do this. Correct. Djokovic's lawyers filing an appeal. Djokovic won his first appeal. Okay, remember all all that last week? Allowed him to stay in Australia, practice in Australia, strut around in Australia while the entire country's in the midst of a, a, a lockdown that's been almost a year. And legal experts are saying that Djokovic has little chance of having the decision overturned. He's got an immigration hearing on Monday. Doesn't look good for him. If he gets kicked out, someone else will replace him in the main draw of the Aussie Open. All right? That's it. They're just going to have to change. They're going to say, okay, you, who's next in line? Yes, you've got Djokovic's spot. That's you up there at the top. But besides that, you know, we can watch tennis. Everyone else is vaccinated. Everyone else is vaccinated. So kick him out. Good for the government. And one thing about this is the government's going to have to withstand a flurry of anti-vaxxers and probably almost every Serbian who feels Djokovic is being denied his basic human rights. Although the president of uh, prime minister of Serbia even came out and said, you know, what he did was wrong. Not just one thing. So the Aussie open goes and the favorites now, uh, gee, the favorites got to be Felix Ojeal. You see him, right? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, it's pretty exciting stuff. So uh, Shapovalov goes Monday. OG Eliasim goes Tuesday. Uh, Leila Annie Fernandez goes Tuesday as well. Remember her run at the U.S. Open last year? And Rebecca Marino uh, goes Tuesday as well. She got into the main draw. So they're all vaccinated, and that's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, No more of this Djokovic. Get him out of there. 
What do our, you think? Our tennis correspondent, uh, Brian, says 97% of ATP players are vaccinated. 97. Meaning, that's a meaningless stat right now. Because if <laughs> the 3% happen to be Djokovic and two other top, top players, I don't know who the other ones are. No, but it speaks to the fact that, yeah, the overwhelming majority Everybody, are, are fully vaccinated. This guy, yeah. He, this guy, it's like he's like a salmon swimming upstream, is what he's doing right now. I mean, he's really, I mean, popular opinion alone. And I mean, he, let's he, let's define human rights for a minute. You know, if you're not a citizen of a country, they don't have to let you in. They don't actually need a reason. Actually, like this is yeah. not human rights at all. We need to uh, let's not disrespect actual human rights violations that are happening on this planet. Right. By the way, the video that was going around to the news anchors who were, you know, supposedly thought they weren't, you know, being recorded and going back and forth. And one goes, oh, he's an asshole. Oh, he's such an asshole. You know, all that kind of thing. That was so planned. I mean, anyone that thinks that these two, and they're professionals, anyone who thinks that they thought that nobody would, not not one person uh, would have access to their private, quote unquote, conversation, sitting on the anchor desk, wired up with mics, is, is nuts. I'm telling you this right now, 35 years ago, we would have never thought of that. You just and nowadays, especially, and Ian Hanneman Singh even pointed it out on Twitter. Mm-hmm. There's a hundred people as soon as you're sitting in there that have access to that. And and let me tell you, they knew about. Remember the story with Rachel Nichols where she was in her hotel room and yeah. she had logged off and everything and, and had no idea and had this conversation and it came back to bite her in the ass. Well, guess what? These Australian news anchors knew about that. They knew it was planned so mm. that when it was leaked, quote unquote. Everybody who was watching is going, oh, I'm going to start watching Channel 7. I love those two. Those two, great. They're fantastic anchors. All right? It's a beautiful ploy. Beautiful. I would have done the same thing. I would have said, let's pretend that See, we don't know that anyone's listening. And you'll call them an asshole. Uh, and I'll call them a prick or something like that. And <laughs> it'll be leaked. And, and our bosses will go, oh, that's shameful. But the public will go, good for you, because that's exactly how we think. See, I'm glad you're here. I, I bought it, so I'm so gullible, but you, you're delivering the real talk. They knew. Here. They knew. How could they not? <laughs> Any first-year student in radio and television arts knows this. Always assume. We, we need to be uh, more cynical in this, uh, in this time. Always assume. Oh, they didn't know. They're, oh, they're, they're. Are you kidding? The response in Australia was fantastic. Everybody who saw it went, this is great. This is exactly how we feel. Oh. Prick. Asshole, right? What an asshole he is. I love the way they say it. And let me tell you, I'll tell you another thing too. Yeah. <laughs> it reminded me when I worked at Global, what we what they used to do is when the news was over at six o'clock, right? It ran from six till seven, news hour. It actually was five thirty till seven. They had a thing called first news. So after 90 minutes of essentially the same crew and you know, anchors going back and forth out there, you're pretty tired and all that. So what happened was right at pretty much right at seven o'clock before everyone went for dinner, you had to record, you, everyone sort of stayed there and you had to record a promo that was going to run all night long on, you know, the, on all evening long during the breaks on the global programming. And it was like, uh, you know, you know, uh, animation, uh, you know, tonight on global news, you know, inflation is up, you know, housing prices are down, weather and the weather color problem. You know, I'm Richard Brown and we'll be by see, see you at 11 o'clock. Right. They might have a little insert with the weather where the, you know, the weather person recorded, you know, Susan Hay or whatever would say, and tonight it's going to be cloudy and over to Jim with sports and Jim would say, and the Leafs are playing. Well, I'm highlighting 1130. So it was like a little 45 second, maybe 30 second little global news update. And they would insert it in there. Right. Well, we had this one particular anchor. Um, (laughs) I've already mentioned his name, Richard Brown. Okay. And, And Richard had a drinking problem. Okay. He was a wonderful guy. And, and, but, 
he had a problem. Um, and, you know, the company uh, realized this and, uh, you know, they sent him to rehab and he came back. Anyway, he had this issue. So what happened one particular night? <laughs> he, they go to record. They, I guess everybody goes to the bathroom or whatever, something. And then they come, you know, five minutes and then, all right, let's do this. So Richard goes off. I think he has a nip or two and he's reading this thing and he can't get through it. He can't get through it. He's oh. giggling and he's giggling, but this is being recorded. So it's like, oh, come on, Richard, let's, let's get it done. So finally, you know, they get it going and he's about halfway through it and, and, he, and he fucks up and he just goes like, ah, oh, fuck, or something like that. Oh, fuck. And somehow, some way, somebody gets a copy of this and it, it airs mistakenly. Oh. <laughs> right? It airs mistakenly and then just as he's about to drop the F-bomb from yeah. the recording, they, they cut it off or something like that. I, I wasn't sure of the exact details, but they had this recording of him just whatever. Right. And it made the rounds. And, you know, once the management saw it and, uh, you know, it was like, all right, that's it for you. And back into rehab or I forget what happened. Right. But, but I mean, this, this is what happens. You know, the, you, you think that the thing, the stuff that you see on the air is all that was done. There's hours and hours of stuff probably on there of, you know, I mean, geez, Jay Onright does it. Onright does it on his show. At the end, they just run some <laughs> clips of when the camera was sitting there and Jay was fixing his tie or tying his shoe or, or having a conversation with, uh, you know, uh, whoever his guest was right. that, that no one was listening to, but they do selected ones. I'm sure there's some F-bombs in there too. <laughs> like, Fuck you, Dre. Like, I'm sure there's got to be. You just don't see them. That's the good stuff, man. Anyway. I just, uh, Richard Brown, by the way, and uh, it, it, I think it was pretty well known for many years ago. He had an alcohol problem. He self-admittedly too. Wonderful guy though. Go terrific anchor. Anyway, uh, the Toronto Raptors. Boy, was I, um, was I enjoying their play this week. I really, I like this team. Mike, I know that you, you wanted that first draft pick. You want a lottery pick. I know, but you know, you can't follow a team and, and hope for them to lose or, or not play that well or, no, I, by the way, I took a note last week because you wrote, uh, I think you said, eight-game winning streak. You were promising an eight-game winning streak. I, I know. And did they not come close against yeah, Phoenix? No, Remember, no, no close nobody, doesn't count. No, no, but, but nobody predicts a long winning streak with one of those wins being against the best team in the NBA. No one's that stupid, right? But that's I was trying to give an indication that that's how well they were playing. Right. And they did play very well with three-fifths of their starting lineup. But never mind. They're in Detroit tonight to play the lowly Pistons. Forgive me if I can't stop buzzing about the way this team played. That game the other night, 99-95 Phoenix win, a very excellent Phoenix Suns team mm -hmm. in front of zero fans and one unruly mascot at the Scotiabank Arena. Okay, did you see that thing with the, with the Raptor mascot? Oh, yeah, that it seems hysterical. to be uh, going viral now. Absolutely. Completely viral. There's nobody in the place. He's standing there shooting free throws. No fans in behind. No... Uh, you know, Nav Baccia, super fan, like waving his whatever, nothing. Okay. And then out of nowhere comes the Raptor mascot who waves his arm once and, uh, and Booker makes the free throw. I think it kind of rolled on in. And then he immediately is like, Hey, like, Hey, <laughs> like he's hey to the mascot, to the Raptor mascot. And then the refs are, you know, whatever security says, no, okay, you got to go over there. This guy, he's used to making free throws in front of 20,000 screaming fans. Right. All right. Women taking their tops off to distract them. Like all this shit. Okay. Howling stuff. And you're telling me that the Raptor mascot <laughs> is because he's waiting. His... I just thought that was too. That was weird, man. That was just weird. It was funny. Anyway, um, without star rookie Scotty Barnes and starting guard Gary Trent, the Raptors played scary good basketball. Mm. Like scary good. 
And with Pascal Siakam on the bench with five fouls in the fourth, the likes of Champagne and Birch and Boucher and Precious Achoa. I think that's how you say his name. Precious Achoa. I love it. It's hard to say, though, because it's a Precious precious Achoa. That's why when, you know, down the post, Matt Devlin always goes, Precious. He doesn't bother doing the whole name. Just give me the one. He doesn't go every time the ball goes to Giannis Antetokounmpo. He doesn't go Giannis Antetokounmpo, Giannis Antetokounmpo. No, he goes Giannis, right? Right. He just shortened that name, right? Just shorten up that name. Anyway, they kept the Raptors in the game, those guys. And then Chris Paul, who's awesome, and Devin Booker took over. And and that was that. I like the way Booker uh, chirped the Raptor the next day on Twitter, right? Like he he used it as his... uh, as his new uh, profile pic, the, right. the pic of the raptor being si- the raptor being sidelined, like sitting all by himself, <laughs> <laughs> which is a which is a cool move by uh, Booker for sure. That was great. Uh, speaking of Milwaukee, after the Raptors uh, beat uh, Detroit tonight, and they better, uh, it's Milwaukee on Saturday. Uh, Giannis back in for that one. Uh, Drew Holiday won't play for the Bucks. We've got a chance. There's always a chance. Bucks uh, Bucks are a good team. Bucks killed uh, Golden State last night. Like right. beat them by a hundred points or something like that. Yeah, I saw I the halftime score. It was unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. I was watching the game and the announcers are like, "All right, you're down by fifty six points in the second half. What do you do? <sighs> what do you do when you're out there? You know." And then whoever the color commentator was, was well, there was that sure. game in. Uh, what do you what do you ask right. me that for? In December, there was that game uh, set huh. the NBA record for greatest yeah. uh, for the greatest disparity margin, or whatever uh, margin of victory, right? Yeah. Disparity. I like that word. Disparity. <laughs> I like that. Story. Anyway, the Raptors are eighth in the East. They're 20 and 18, hey. and they're very much in the hunt. Okay. They're only they're only going to get better. They're only going to get better. The Maple Leafs are in St. Louis tomorrow night for the final game of this road trip. I'm wondering if they're going to send any announcers, if Hockey Night Canada is sending any announcers to Missouri for the game. Because TSN chose not to send anyone to Vegas or Phoenix this week. First of all, Mark uh, Masters, is uh, he's home. He's recovering from COVID. He ain't going to be going anywhere. He's like, can you imagine? Come on, let's go. It's been five days, Masters. Let's go. Let's go. Get out there. Get out there. We're in Vegas. We're in Phoenix. Miller, Ferraro, get out there. No. TSN's like, look, we can save money. And what do we need to risk people for? Like, what for? Don't forget. They're so good at calling a game off a monitor. That's true. They're so good at it. But you still have to test negative on that PCR test, right? So it's not even just, I feel great. It's been five days. You got to make sure you produce a negative test. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I mean, the guy, the, the poor Mark, Mark Masters had to know when you're that close to that many people, master not. Sure. In a fairly enclosed area that you're at a greater risk, right? Even if you're quadruple vaxxed, right? Well, you're getting it in the corridor of like condos and apartment buildings. Uh, I think this is coming for all of us. So I'll tell you this right now. If okay. I'm Mark Masters right, and I've got a decent insurance company yeah. and, and lawyer, I might be investigating, you know, what type of hazard like this isn't a hazard job. This isn't a job like you're, like you're going into a you know a coal mine or something like that. You don't take this. You know, well, hang on a second. You want to be a TSN reporter? Whoa, I mean, you know, sorry, we got to, we can't give you a, a insurance policy. You know the risks that are involved in being a hockey reporter? No. What are they? Well, you can catch the coronavirus because you're you know in amongst the, anyway. So they didn't send anybody, and the games went on, and and. You know, did I want, did I need you to go back to the Gila River Arena or whatever the fuck it's called? Now let's go back and here are our second intermission. And now here we just got a sweaty hockey player came off the ice for a minute and a half. We're doing an interview with him. No, not interested. So they just said, you know what? Fuck it. You guys stay home. Let's all be safe. And no one will know the difference. And it's true. 
when you're watching the game, I mean, the first game in Vegas, there was a bit of like a, a one second, half second delay where the puck would be in the net already. And mm. Gord Miller would go, he scores because he obviously didn't see it in real time. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's, that's something from the 80s, though. You know, what happened there? The time base corrector went there, built, yeah, that's what it was. Come on. Right. It's 2021. You can't figure this out by now. A little bump somewhere. Come on. What's going on? So, uh, yeah, we saw the game and, you know, it was a late game, too. And then the other night in Phoenix was much better. It's as if they were there. I mean, the audio mix is so good. They must, seriously, even though you're sitting in the studio, they must with their headphones on go, this is great. It's like being there, man. It just sounds so good. <laughs> you know, the sound of the skates, the mics all over the place. Real good job. The audio directors don't get enough credit on those telecasts. Uh, they, they just don't. They do a really, really good job engaging the feel of it and making it appear as if the announcers are there. Now, I'm wondering, is it going to be Chris Cuthbert, Craig Simpson, and Kyle Bukowskis in St. Louis tomorrow night? Hockey night in Canada? Or is it like, hang on a second, guys. And what do these guys have to go through to go back and forth across the borders? Because that's just a huge pain in the ass now. And just say, let's just stay home. Anyway, we'll find uh, out tomorrow. Before we get wouldn't to be, I wouldn't be surprised. Now, I know we want to uh, pay tribute to someone who passed away. And I love your hat, by the way, Hebsey. So thanks for wearing that hat. Just quickly, though, I have a very good source, somebody I trust, who tells me that the great uh, Buck Martinez did get vaccinated and should be crossing the border for. Um, 2022 season. Wonderful. Do you know the, uh, if you wanted to make a bet as to Novak Djokovic getting vaccinated in 2022, uh, even money, according to Bodog, it's even money that he will get vaccinated in 2022. Interesting. I I like that bet. That's a good prop bet because it's like, okay, if he's being deported and on the plane home, he goes, you know, maybe I did fuck up. Maybe... Maybe I should get, maybe I should be a good guy. Maybe I should do what's good for the public and get vaccinated. Now he would do, is that his decision alone or does he fight this to the bitter end? I feel like he's so invested, you know, people that are kind of down the, I don't know, the QAnon or whatever. They're so deep in it. They simply can't get out. Like they're sort of like, I'm married to this now and I know it might be wrong, but I'm still like, I'm in it. I'm going to fight on this lie. If it's a lie, I'm fighting on this lie. I think if he does it, it's to help himself. Like it's not to help you know, it's not because it's the right thing. It's because, you know, it, it allows him to maybe, I don't know, enter more majors and get that record. He may, he may go down as the greatest villain of all time. You know, Paul Hockeyard in, on your YouTube channel makes an interesting point. He says, you know, this deportation that's apparently underway right now in Australia can carry with it. Sometimes it carries with it like a three-year ban from the country. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, this oh, is... A... No, it goes... <laughs> listen, this goes on your record, too. The other thing was, if, he, in fact, he was in Spain and the Spanish government is like, we'd like to talk to you, Mr. Djokovic. You decided to come through our country here and you falsify... Also, when you falsify documents like that, like, oh, he ticked the wrong box. That's one thing. But you falsi- you're falsifying documents? Those are federal offenses. Oh, that's a serious offense. That's, a, that's major stuff. Anyway, enough yeah. with the Joker. Okay. Let's talk about someone who, who really did contribute, I think, positively to society, certainly to me and to baseball fans around Toronto. That's uh, Jack Dominico, passed away this week at the age of 82. Uh, best described as crusty. Uh, yes, Jack Dominico ran the Toronto Maple Leafs inter-county team for as long as I can remember. He was gruff. He was impatient, and he didn't like talking about himself. He hated talking about himself, but he loved baseball. And he knew so much about baseball. And he knew a lot of people in baseball. And he had a good heart. 
He and his wife, Lynn, ran the Toronto Maple Leafs baseball team in tandem for many years before Lynn passed away a little over a decade ago. Every Sunday afternoon, seriously, from the time I was uh, like 12 years old, we would go to Christie Pitts. My grandmother lived right nearby, and we would always go. Uh, and often during the week, you know, a Wednesday night or a Thursday night. And they still do. The Maple Leafs play at Christie Pitts. The field is now named and has been for a number of years after uh, Jack and Lynn Dominico. And every game, Jack or some volunteer like my friend Alan Ross, who's been selling raffle tickets for six decades there at Christie Pitts, would sell the tickets to help fund the team. And for years, Jack would walk along the side of the hill and shake a coffee pot. I can still hear it. I can see the coffee pot. I can't tell you how many times I put nickels, dimes, quarters before loonies and toonies even existed, right? And my old man would throw a fiver in there or something, like, how you wow. doing, that kind of thing. Or my uncle would throw whatever it was wow. to run the baseball team so we could have entertainment, so we could see baseball. There were no Blue Jays in those days. And the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, of the International League, uh, you know, had left. Uh, and even before, they weren't even that good. So Christie Pitts was the place to go. I live right around the corner from it now. I walk by right. there all the time. Right. And every year, Jack Dominico would have a banquet prior to the Leafs home opener in like April, right? And every year there would be Warren Spawn or Bob Feller or Fergie Jenkins or other Hall of Famers, huge names in baseball coming up here to help Jack Dominico raise money and, and you know, keep the Toronto Maple Leaf inter-county baseball team going. And let me tell you, Anyone that ever played in the Intercounty League, past or present, from Guelph, Brantford, Stratford, Kitchener, Hamilton, doesn't matter. Barry, this was the place to come to. You're coming into the city, man, to legendary Christie Pitts. Jack Dominico gave me my first play-by-play -play job, 1981. I called play-by-play -play for eight games on CJMR Ooh. Radio in Mississauga. Wow. That's right. Wow. So this was the predecessor to Saga 960. <laughs> It was. It was a local station in Mississauga. I don't know what they charged. I don't even remember what he paid me. It didn't matter. Right. I wanted to call play-by-play. -play. I wanted to do play-by-play, -play, and I got to do it in Christie Pitts in that little press box where Jack spent all his time. Roger Lejoie was the official scorer and the PA announcer. Roger was there 35 years. Wow. Sitting next to Jack. I loved it. So thanks, Jack. Thanks for giving me the gig. Uh, thanks for helping me out in my broadcast career. And most importantly, thanks for all those great days talking baseball with you at your ballpark, which I will continue to pass by every day and, and think uh, fondly of you. May your memory be a blessing, Jack. Rest in peace, Jack. And I'm, I'm glad, again, people were sending me notes yesterday. Oh, make sure Hebsey talks about Jack. I'm like, oh, don't worry. I see that hat on Hebsey's head all the time. Hebsey's going to be talking about Jack. And I was thinking, for sure, Hebsey's going to wear that hat today. And you did. So thank you for wearing the hat. And thank you for educating us, because there's a lot of us who, who are uh, unfamiliar with the legend that is Jack here. And, and it's important that people like you yeah. educate us. So Thanks. Listen, so thank I you very Leafs, much. I think the Leafs have a, a great future in front of them. I think, you know, continuing that legacy of, you know, local like people man people used to come from all over it's right on the subway line it's at bluer yeah. and christie it's the christie subway stop right people would come from all over and have for years to sit in on the side of the hill there and it's just a wonderful experience if you've never done it before you gotta check out toronto maple leafs intercounty baseball at christie pitts now before i introduce my guest let's just say that he's going to be the cleanest son of a bitch on the block 
once he receives the parting gift for appearing on the show. You notice that we're talking about the parting gift. Like we're kicking, we haven't even introduced him. We're booting him off the show already with the parting gift. And the reason is because Nate is going to look after him. Okay. It's a new year. It's 2021. It's time that you had some new skin. Because listen, dry winter skin, cracks and itches. And, you know, you need emollients, you need lotions. Here's what you need. You need to upgrade your soap. Stop using that shit that you get from freaking shoppers drug mart. Nate makes soap.com. Soap's made from shea butter and coconut milk that your dry skin will love. Better ingredients means better skin. Soaps that revitalize dry skin and wash away the January blahs. Mike. I got an email from no other than Steve Pakin, who listened to you on Hebsey on Sports talking about Nate's soap and bought some soap from Nate and loves it. So if Steve Pakin loves this soap. <laughs> and he's about the cleanest guy I know. You'll love it too. And for right. sure, Christopher Jones here will love that soap. Right. Christopher Jones. What we- <laughs> That's what he wrote for his, uh, his Zoom name, Christopher Jones. Oh, okay. Um, anyway, listen, before we get to Christopher Jones, Nate's also offering a free sample bar of his soap. If you live in the Toronto delivery zone, that's from St. Clair to King and then from Bathurst to Keel. Got it? St. Clair to King, Bathurst to Keel. Uh, you get a free bar of Nate's amazing soap delivered for free. To claim your free bar of soap by Nate, go to www.hebsy.online slash soap. Hebsy.online slash soap, right? www.hebsy.online slash soap for your free bar of Nate's amazing soap. Today's guest on the show used to watch Sportsline every night on global television as a young man, and that likely contributed to his wicked sense of humor, encyclopedic memory, and poignant observations, especially on Twitter, where he's just, it's fabulous. He is Chris Jones, author of the new book, The Eye Test, Wait a second, I got a copy of it here. I'm going to show the viewing audience. The eye test, a case for human creativity in the age of analytics. That's a course that I took, I think, second year university? No, something different. Welcome to the show, Chris Jones. Alice. That sounds delicious, by the way. Nate's soap. I'm very excited about Nate's soap. Oh, you're going to get Nate's soap. And let me tell you, everybody in the small town that you live in (laughs) is going to be clamoring for it. Clamoring. How are you, my friend? Super duper. And you guys? Thank yeah, you for doing, having me on. No, we're doing really good. We're doing better than Novak Djokovic, that's for sure. <laughs> silly, silly. My favorite thing about that was how could he possibly get into Australia? I was like, I know a very simple solution to this problem. But anyway. Well, so how did you get into Australia? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us. Let's hear the secret to get in. Just get in. Well, Light on your visa. To do. Don't be, don't be, don't think you're special. Just go. <laughs> Australians, they have no tolerance for people who think they're special. Oh, that's good. I'm glad because that's what this guy thinks, man. Holy cow. Um, You're from Port Hope, yeah? Yeah, you can tell. I don't know if you can tell. I wasn't sure whether to admit this. Yeah, I'm in Port Hope, but I I was a sports line viewer when I grew up in Millbrook, Ontario, Canada. In what? In what? I'm sorry, in where? Millbrook. A tiny village. Yeah, it's near Peterborough. Well, wait, hang on a second. Where did, uh, Mike, where did... um, uh, didn't Adnan come from a, a small town that also started with an M that we'd never heard of before? That was near, um, where's Avril, Napanee, where's right? Avril Levine from? Yeah. That was right beside Napanee. Yeah. Well, and we can't remember the name but of that I, town. Five, Dan O'Toole's from Orno. Are you near Orno? 
Dan is more Dan is more rural than me. I'm not far from Orono. Yeah. But yeah. we're both Hicks. We're both Hicks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, country. But right at the moment, and I, I'm gonna whisper this part, I'm in I'm in Florida. I'm in Florida. It's all right. It's okay. I'm, Listen, the Leaf telecast the other night, Ray and uh, and Gord were sitting in Toronto and watching the game was in Phoenix. So, you know, there's no allude. No one gives a shit where you are anyway, really. Well, I just don't want that. I'm at my parents' place. I didn't want anyone thinking I have a hat on my wall at home. Oh. I, I just noticed it in the background there. Mm. Oh, oh, all right. Um, where did your love of sports come from in um, Mill Millhaven? What? Mill? <laughs> That's a prison, Ebsy. It's also uh, a town, isn't it? A town too. <laughs> um, it's a family, family sport. I have a sporting family. Dad was a rugby player. My mom's an athlete. Um, it's just part of our family culture growing up, and uh, just always did, and really did watch you guys religiously. It was like right. part of my routine. And I said, I think I told you, I want a pair of sweet. LA gear sneakers from you for knowing Brad Marsh held Calgary's consecutive games record. And the reason I knew that it was because I was sitting in front of Sportsline sorting my hockey cards <laughs> because I was a virgin. And I, the card I was, you go, who holds the Calgary Flames record for most consecutive games? And the hockey card I was holding yeah. said on the back, Brad Marsh holds the record for. And I called in and won my sweet sneakers that trust me, I was the only kid in Millbrook with a pair of LA gear high tops. I thought you were going to say you were the only kid in Millbrook with, with shoes. <laughs> <laughs> That's hurtful. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Look, I'm from, look, I'm from the city. I'm, I'm born and raised in Toronto. There's always people around, you know, you guys like you and O'Toole and Adnan Verk and, I mean, Rob Baker's from Kingston. Ooh, that's a big town. Like, big town. Compared to where you guys are from. I mean, Adnan's from a place of 500 people, right? Couldn't wait to get the hell out of there to go to Toronto. At what point did you say, I got to get out of Millbrook, or did you was was it forced yeah. upon you? No, I liked. I, I had no problem with Millbrook. I, 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 I mean, I lived 20 minutes from there. Port Hope is like 20 minutes down the road. Yeah. Port Hope for me when I was growing up was like town. Okay. So even though Port Hope is tiny... I don't know if your viewers have seen the movie It, but that is Port Hope. Stephen King's It? The, the new one? Yeah. That was yeah? Port Hope. So that, that was Port Hope? That's Port Hope. <laughs> that house was creepy. That clown is creepy, man. That I'll never look in a sewer again. Okay? That, clown, that, that clown wandered around Port Hope for a summer. Like in, that guy in, was in, in costume? In costume. No way. <laughs> it was terrifying. One night, this is a true story. One night I was sitting like two in the morning. My house sort of faces the river. Two in the morning, I hear this blood curdling scream where I thought someone was in trouble. And I went outside and that clown is standing in the river and all night he screamed. They were filming a scene. It didn't go in the movie. But like every three minutes I got to hear that clown. It was, it was a rough summer in Porto. And people will still occasionally tie a red balloon to the sewer grate just to wow yeah so that's my time so remind me next time i'm in my port hope to do that i mean just to let a blood curdling scream go out or just even wear a wear a clown's mask bring back some great memories huh yeah 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 ptsd yeah 
So you're a writer, but you're also, I mean, you, you've developed into a, a more than a writer because I guess of social media, you know, and things like this, but did you do any, like, I know you did some stuff for CBC sports, but you were just writing that, like the stuff you were writing for soccer, which was really good. Oh, did you do you. any like on camera stuff as well? Where it's like, no, oh, Chris, give us that commentary on camera. Give us a three minute breathless about what you think of. I had to do know, one for CBC and they made me do it outside. And it was like right. minus 20. Right. Show uh, us you're there, Chris. Come on, do it right in front of the wood. And it was like, I'm holding my phone and uh, and I couldn't hear the questions and I was literally freezing. And so I don't think I'll ever be on camera on CBC again. I don't think it was the best <laughs> hit of all time, unless you want to see Edmonton sort of look apocalyptic behind me. But um, no, mostly a writer. And actually, the social media—the only social media I do is Twitter, and that—that that sort of was an accident. Um, how, how did that become an accident? Because some of the stuff, like some of the stuff I've read, and the other thing is, you're—you're you're sort of not—I don't want to say the master of. Wow. No, you can say that. Okay, you're the master of—you're the master of narrative nonfiction writing and espousing. Sometimes I wish I was the master of something more lucrative, but I will take <laughs> that. Um, right is that about right narrative nonfiction? this is your like life it. it's sort of a i like I the hate, story yeah and, and you're a great storyteller and these are great stories but when you see it in a thread on twitter you know it's sort of like you know and if somebody interrupts in that thread you're like well wait a second and you're scrolling down wait a second where's the rest of the thread where's the god damn it chris it's been two minutes where's the rest of the thread <laughs> I mean, I, that's great. It's that's a page turner. That's an actual page turner for those you know looking digitally. I think that's really cool. Was that a planned kind of a thing? Or was it like, no. listen, instead of telling the story, I'm just going to type it out um, for as long as it takes to type it out on Twitter. Do I look like someone who makes plans? No, there was no plans. It was, it was, um, <clears throat> you know, when Twitter started, a guy wrote a novel on Twitter. I can't remember his name now, but it was like this experiment in. Fiction. And that was when Twitter was the 140 characters. It right. was like, that's tough. I mean, it was, it was thousands. Of, and I, and I don't know how many people actually finished that novel, but it did make me start thinking like, Oh, maybe a tweet doesn't have to be a single thing. And then Twitter added like a thread function. Like it was a very specific. And then what happened was the start of the, I used to be a Titanic jerk on Twitter because you know, I, it was like social media was new to me and someone would chirp and then I would have to chirp back because that was the culture in which I was raised. And then, you know, things would sort of go sideways and, and I got tired of fighting on with strangers. I was like, this is pointless. And then um, what happened was it was the, during the lockdown, during the first lockdown for the pandemic, I was feeling sort of down and I was like, oh, maybe if I tell a story, it'll make me feel better. Maybe people will like it. And it was a story about a kid named Pete Simon who, uh, when I was in high school, uh, I, I, you know, I was this farm kid in Millbrook. Our high school closed because it was too small. Right. And my last year, we got bust into Crestwood in Peterborough. And I was a, I was a zero. Like Peterborough, I you got bust up to Peterborough. Bust up to Peterborough, the big, big town. And, um, and I, uh, yeah, I was just a nobody. And um, I had this terrible cold, and I blew a huge snot rocket onto my shirt, but didn't know it. And, uh, and I walk into chem class and there was this bully who was like, is that effing snot? Like, and just start, and then the class is gathering around and hot, that terrible high school hot. Oh boy. And Pete Simon was this kid who was like, he, I don't want to say he was like super popular, but everybody liked him because 
he just had this good energy. Mm. And Pete Simon came up and, and his instinct was to join the crowd and go, oh God. But then he, I think he saw that I was dying. And he was like, wait a minute, Chris, did you have a banana for breakfast? I was, like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I had a banana for breakfast. He goes, guys, that's banana, idiots. A and banana. He, and he, he, the, you know, he said to the bully, like, sit down, you dork. And, and then it, it ended. And so instead of being booger boy for the rest of my life, like uh. Pete Simon saved me. And so I told this story on Twitter, just trying to make people, that people are good. And someone said, where did you go to school? Because I married a Pete Simon, this woman uh-huh. named Krista. I uh-huh. married a Pete Simon and this sounds like him. And then someone else goes, I think I know this Pete Simon. And it was the Pete Simon. Right. It was him. It was him. And I was like, so Twitter, I mean, listen, Twitter, that's the beauty of Twitter is like somebody, I, I heard from someone, but someone that Pete Simon, did you, and then boom, before you know it, it's like, let's get in touch with this person. And that, that's was fabulous. Pete. And the fact that, the fact that people read that story and knew that was their Pete Simon, mm. I thought was like such a beautiful testament to who this guy is. I was right. like, oh, he's still the guy. Right. And um, Daniel Dale retweeted it. Really? Then, there you go. Then, that's what you And mean. then it went, boom. And then the next Fantastic. week, I told another one, and it went, and then I guess made it a weekly thing. I just started telling the stories, oh. and um, not planned, but like really lovely. And some of them, like, like the biggest audiences of my career have been on Twitter. Like I wrote a story that ten million people read. Like I've never had that. That's so awesome, man. It's been wild. It's been really nice. Where did cultivated? Like you know, you can prune the tree, and you can make Twitter a really nice space if you want to. What was the first book? that you loved. Mine was ball four. Mm. I couldn't put it down. And then I reread it immediately. Mm-hmm. Love so, this is, so this is reading, huh? Ooh. Yeah. Reading's okay. When it's ball four, when you're, what was it for you? Well, ball four was one of them for sure. I have very vivid memories of reading ball four. Uh, fantastic book. Fantastic. I, I, I think I can, honest to God, I think I can repeat it chapter and verse. I, I do every, are you kidding me? When I just reading in print, Shit fuck and fuck shit as his two favorite, Joe Schultz's two favorite lines. I'm like, and I'm like 13 years old, 12 years old. I'm like, this is great. And my mom is like, what are you reading? And I'm going, what's so funny? I'm going, oh, it's a baseball book because there's baseball a baseball book. on the cover, right? She's going, a baseball book that's funny. I'm going, oh, this guy's a really funny guy. And of course, she doesn't know like this. I'm 12 years old reading this stuff. Oh, my God. But no, it felt um, kind of illicit, didn't it? It felt like you were, it felt sort yeah. of, like, it was like, it was like the teenage boy version of like reading later Chatterley's Lover or something. It was like, yeah, ooh, Ball Four is kind the of the story of O. I remember I, I read Ball Four and then not long afterwards, I think I saw that movie, The the Story of O or something, the softcore porn. I was like, oh my God, I'm, what is, what is with this world? This is wonderful. That was the, that's the summer where Hebsey became a man. That was the, that was- <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's there's so many scenes from that book that I remember. Yogi Berra dragging his schlong across the cold cuts on the on the in the clubhouse buffet and like um, fantastic. And, but then he was also he's a good writer too. Like you read oh, it now, you read it now yeah. as a writer, and you go, oh, that's actually the, the 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 line about how we thought we had a grip on the baseball when all this time it was the other way around. I'm like that's Tremendous. fantastic. It is so, yeah, great book. That's one of my yeah. early ones for sure. Baseball was my childhood obsession like I, well, where where did that start who come on there's got to be some trigger there for baseball because i i'm i'm the biggest baseball well no getty lee more than me but 
but I knew about baseball before he, he didn't even know what a baseball was when I was a baseball nerd. He, he didn't figure that out till like he was in his mid twenties when he started watching Cubs games. But now he's, he's the biggest baseball nerd. I mean, anything to do with baseball, baseball history. Beautiful. I asked him once, I said, is it true? Cause I had heard, is it true that you have the left field foul pole from old exhibition stadium in your backyard? I had heard this from someone and he said, that's not true at all. And I was waiting for him to go, I do have the right field foul pole. And he didn't say it, but I think there was some, I remember hearing a story, some property of his somewhere, might've been at home, might've been up in the cottage country where he's got this, like, you know, there's memorabilia and then there's, are you kidding me? The left field foul pole. That'd be something. I, I would, I'd like to have one of those, uh, the old metal bleachers from Exhibition Stadium, and I would leave them outside in the cold and stick to them. Right, exactly. And then I would, I would leave it in the sun, and then I would burn myself like I was a whopper. Yeah, like, I, oh, Exhibition Stadium, what a dirtbag stadium that was. But lovely. So, when you covered the Jays, what years did you cover them, and how did you get that gig with the National Post? It was like, does anybody know baseball, or you volunteered for it? Uh, I, I covered the Jays. So the national post started fall of 98. So I was there like 99, 2000, a little bit of 2001. Um, I don't know. Some of 2001. Um, I started the post as like a boxing guy, yeah. uh, boxing guy. Really? Well, it was a lie. Like I was trying to get a sport, you know, I was new to the paper and I was the kid and I, everyone had sports and I wanted to get a sport and, Boxing was on TV, so I convinced my editor, who was a lovely guy named Graham, uh, Graham Parley, that I was a huge boxing guy, which I was not. Um, <laughs> and then I covered fights for a while, and then I got moved to the beat, to baseball. And, you know, for me, it was like, it was like being invited into Valhalla. Do you know what I mean? As a kid who grew up with that stuff, it was like, like I remember that first game. So, actually, do you want to hear a story? Why do you think we had you on here, Chris? I think we had you on to talk about the days watching sports line and who, doing who knows what while you were doing it at <laughs> where, where, to 12 where, at night. Everything's okay we? down here, Dad. It's all right. It's just me and Jim and Mark. We had you on because you're a great storyteller, Chris. You're, for Christ's sake, I'm writing this book of yours. It's about <laughs> stories. You're telling stories, okay? Fucking George Clooney, you bled on his couch. I, I, we haven't even gotten to that shit yet. Pissing on some guy's face, we haven't even gotten to that yet. Yes, we'd like to hear a story. First day at the ballpark, older older beat writer who shall remain nameless was giving me the teaching me, give me the lessons of how to be a beat writer. Ask a question that you're genuinely curious about. Don't pretend you know more than these guys. They know more than you about baseball. They've bled baseball their whole lives. Don't try to bluff them. Don't ask them stupid questions, but if you have a genuine question, ask it. Be brave. They want to talk about it. They love teaching. You know, blah, 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 blah. Great lessons. And then he goes, and... Don't look at anybody's cock. Just don't. If you right. get nailed for that, your career is over. Right. Look him like, in the okay. eyes. Look him in the eyes. Look him in the eyes. I go in my very first interview, Jose Canseco, who was with the Blue Jays at the time and who had hit a one-handed home run off a ball that, if it didn't bounce, it was one inch off the dirt. My question was, how do you do such a thing? And I was genuinely curious. I mean, now we know some of the answers are chemically <laughs> induced, but like the, the, at the time, sweet summer children that we were, right. I was like, this is just an amazing. So he starts answering my question and I look down at my notepad to write down my answer. And he goes, Hey, I'm like, yeah. So like, you just looked at my dick. <laughs> I was like, uh, no, no, I didn't. He was like, yeah, you did. 
I was like, uh, Jose, I did not. I was uh, looking down to write in my notepad. I have to look at my notepad. Your penis just happens to be adjacent, but I was writing my notepad. No. No, you stared at it. Jose, I swear to you, I did not. And now I'm shaking. It's my first day. And he, this goes on for a solid minute. And I'm basically in tears. He's like, I'm going to end your career. Like, that's, I'm going to tell everybody, and no one's going to talk to you, and it's over for you. And I'm like, Jose, I, I, I swear to you, I was to, and then he hits me, and he goes, relax. And he points over at the beat writer, who's smiling away. Total setup. Love it. I was almost in tears. Like, I was like, it's over before it even began. So that was my introduction to baseball. And I lasted a couple of years. It was, the baseball beat is like, it was a great way to learn how to be a journalist. Intense. Like in Toronto, people go, oh, it's the Jays. But like four major papers, everybody else trying to fight for stories. It was like, we went to work. And it was, the Jays weren't very good at that time. Um, but there were some good characters. And Jim Fergosi was my principal manager. And he, um, it was actually another great lesson where he, he, he Jim Fergosi's school of management was if the game went bad, he would pick on a writer to distract from the game. So we'd all be standing. And invariably it was me because I was like the scared young kid. Uh, like he once put me in a headlock in front of everybody. Um, yeah. 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 And then I finally said to him, I went into his office by myself one day and I said, Jim, I know you hate my questions. I know you think I'm stupid. I'm genuinely trying to learn. Like, I don't know enough and I'm trying to get better. Like, and the only way I'm going to get better is by asking questions. And sometimes they're going to be stupid. And he's like, do you really want to learn? And I was like, yeah, I really want to learn. And every Sunday when we were on the road, he'd sit in the dugout with me for half an hour and teach me something about baseball. And what it was, was he, what, what was he teach? Like what, what's, can you remember something specifically? Cause, yeah, I, I re- Cause there was one time where I remember I had no idea about a particular play and they were, and this was in spring training. And Bobby Cox says to me, you see that over there? He's, says to me what what's the responsibility of the third baseman on this play and i'm like uh backing up home because the runner goes huh and he goes no 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 he says now what and he showed me it was an obscure it was a weird play it was a foul fly ball right and he said what's going to happen here is the right fielder is going to throw the ball here the cutoff man is the first baseman the catcher is going to bluff like he's coming up the line the third baseman sneaks in behind and they tag the guy out rounding third and i'm like Whoa, I've never seen that before. He goes, it's happened before, and you always have to be prepared for that. So when there's a runner at first and a fly ball down the right field line, blah, 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 blah. And I just remember going, wow, that's deep. And he's like, Texas League, 1972, you know, Amarillo against Red Rocks. I was the guy. He says, I screwed it up, and my manager, you know, whoever the guy, benched me for two games. Learned my lesson. I'm like, wow. Holy cow. That's eight levels deeper than I ever, yeah. ever even considered thinking. And, and I loved it. Loved it's learning the, about the game. It's one of the great things about baseball. You can watch it at a very surface level, but the, you can, it's got, it's like, a, it's like the, the walls of a Canyon. Like it's got like layers and layers and layers and layers. And you just get to this place where you're like, it's like Zen. Do you know what I mean? And you just, I remember my favorite, like, and I, 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 I wish I had it on tape. It would be like a one act play. Fergosi in the dugout, we were in Cleveland at what was then Jacobs Field and half an hour on the changeup. And you would think mm-hmm. that you couldn't talk for half an hour about the changeup, but Jim Fergosi was actually, you know, for a, for a position player, was a, an expert at pitching. And 
It was all about the difference between pitching and throwing and the use of deception and the courage it takes to throw a changeup. Cause if you get it wrong, it's going to get mashed and Johnny Padres had the best changeup. And this is why it was a great changeup and you mask the, you know, the delivery is identical. You got to make sure you can't have any tip offs. So you give me a short history on tip offs. And like, it was just fabulous. It was magic. It was magic. It was fabulous. It was, so for me, baseball was like this, it was exhausting. Like it's 162 games, a ton of travel um a lot of late nights really rough lifestyle like you're eating oh terrible burgers at midnight and then going to bed in your marriott and waking up the next day and flying to kansas city like it it um it was a grind but i learned a ton and um just met some amazing people that who still you know i saw jim fergosi sort of he's gone now and i still think about those sundays in the dugout it was fantastic um you're a soccer fan Big soccer mm. fan. I am too. Um, where did that come from? And who's your team? Because I got so that's my weird- That's yeah. my original. So my family's British. My dad's Welsh. My mom's English. We emigrated when I was a kid. Uh, my dad's a rugby player, but soccer was my, soccer was the sport I actually played. Baseball became sort of a weird obsession sort of later, but soccer was my sport. Um, my team is Burnley. Uh, Burnley? Yeah, which is my mom's. So my mom's from Rottenstall, which is near Burnley. And when I was 10, uh, went to my first match and it was Burnley, who at the time were in the fourth, what was then the fourth division. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually another, I remember I was sitting with an old man who said, you know, you're going to see them in the, what was then the first of it. You're going to see them in the first division because Burnley were a big club in the sixties. Right. I was like, there's no way. I mean, they're terrible. They're in the fourth division. And then a few years ago, well now several years ago, they finally made it back took like 40 years of devotion. They're about to leave again, but you know, had a moment in the sun. Yours, who's your team? Uh, Tottenham Hotspur. Oh, so you wear a Canada goose jacket and you're fancy? Stop it, okay, just stop it. Um, (laughs) Here, I want you to respond to this. FC Bayern coach Julian Nagelsmann says Alfonso Davies has signs of mild myocarditis. After his COVID-19 diagnosis, Davies has stopped training and won't be available for a few weeks. Our next qualifier is the 27th in Honduras. If he's not available for a few weeks, uh, that's going to cause some problems. And and then we've got the game in Hamilton three days later, the 30th. Against the U.S. So that cycle is really hard on Canada. Like um, (laughs) It's been going really well, and that team is super fun and exciting. Uh, I, I know we're supposed to be objective journalists. So excited about it. If no, no, you don't have to be objective journalist. Who said that? Tell us what if you I think. To, Come on. If I got to cover Canada in a World Cup, that would be, you know, they made it once in 86. <sighs> I have memories of it. I was 13. But to actually go, you know, I've covered a few World Cups now, and to actually have Canada there would be like, it would be amazing. Amazing. Um, so I really hope they do it. But this cycle, they, they go to Honduras on the 27th. Historically, a terrible place for Canada. Terrible. They come back to Hamilton. So think of the travel for the guys from Europe. Honduras, they go back to Canada on the 30th. U.S. won't be easy. Then El Salvador, two days after that, down in El Salvador. So it's a nightmare cycle. And Canada has not looked down. They've been on the high wire, and they have not looked down. But I, I fear this. And if Davies isn't there, even psychologically, it's not awesome. Oh. But he's I mean, he's clearly the best player on the team. Like, it, right. it um it would be a huge blow if he wasn't there. This is a real fear, Chris. This is a real fear. We're flying high. Hey, look at that. We went to Edmonton. We kicked the snot out of Mexico. Hey, look at 
And now it's like, oh, you're going to go into hostile places without your best player. And even, even if, and when he recovers, when, oh God forbid, but uh, what kind of shape is he going to be in? And, and, yeah. and, He's being paid all that money at Bayern. I could never figure this out about soccer. I could never figure in the midst of an NHL season, all right, you're taking a week off. You're going to go play for your country. You go to Sweden, you go to Finland, you go to Russia, you come back in a week, we get back to the regular. And then two weeks later, you know, we're taking another week off and you're going to go to South America. You're going to go to Australia. Are you kidding me? And you expect me to perform at a high level in this competition? That's why I said, like, when I see that, uh, not so much the FA Cup, when I see the League Cup, and the Europa fifth division. I go, who gives a shit? I mean, you're playing for your team. You're trying to get in the top four or you're trying to not be relegated. You know, I'm going to yeah. lose my best player to an ankle injury because he was playing for uh, Burkina Faso. No, I don't understand that about soccer, Chris. I just don't get in the middle of a competition. You got to go play for your country now. And then someone says, oh, you're not, you're not, uh, you're not patriotic. You won't play for your country. I don't want to travel 15,000 miles in three days. The travel's epic, especially for the guys in CONCACAF. I mean, it's brutal. Like, they got to come back. And even Edmonton was like, you know, like the guys, there's guys who play in Turkey. That was like an epic trip. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, it's just going home and it's like, okay. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a definitely a huge amount of soccer. And what they're doing is like, you know, you'll rest guys. You won't play certain guys. And, and John Herdman, the coach of the men's team, is sensitive about this. But for sure, Byron is not is not happy in Davies when Davies comes to play uh, Yeah, there's some interference on Chris's mic there. No, oh, sorry, sorry. Well, blown this, blown it's not your fault. Anyway, the book's called The Eye Test. I'm going to show it here. Chris, it's, I re, I, I'm halfway through the book. I really like it because it's like I'm not an analytics geek. But I don't like it when people just look at the analytics and have never seen the player play, have never actually witnessed it. And I really like this book because it's like, you know, you can take your stats and shove them up your ass. You've got to actually see. You've got to, you know, trust what your own judgment and what your eyes see. And, I, and, I, and it's a really good book. It's really interesting. I know it's just out. We're going to try to, uh, you know, get you to sell some books for you here. It's all really good. But I'm, I'm very much enjoying it. And especially, of course, I love the stories, like the, the, all the stories you tell. But I love especially the sports stories. I love the, you know, Barry Zito and all that. Before we go, please tell us, how did you end up bleeding on George Clooney's couch? had my gallbladder out while I was in LA. I was doing a George Clooney story for Esquire. The night before I was meeting him, I went for Cuban food with some friends. And at like two in the morning was in my hotel, the delightful sunset marquee in West Hollywood and felt like agonizing gut pain. Uh, decided as is my custom that I was just farty and told Mike, the door guy, that I had to go for a walk and crop dust a little bit. And if um, if he didn't see me in a while, he was to come get me, find me. Maybe a couple minutes from the hotel, I just felt this inside my belly. And it was one of those things where, you know, instantly something terrible has happened. I was just like, oh, that's that's awful. I'm dying. Something really bad happened. I got into a taxi. Went to Cedar sinai Hospital. It's a very fancy hospital. Within 45 minutes, I did not have a gallbladder anymore. Whoa. Um, woke up in a very nice hotel room saying to a nurse, I have to talk to George Clooney. She's like, you're in a real hospital. ER is a fictional television show. You've had quite a thing. Uh, obviously, the medication is still hitting you. I'm like, no, I got to talk to George Clooney. I check myself out. Don't do that. 
took my pain meds. <laughs> checked yourself went, out checked without out. a gallbladder. <laughs> without a gallbladder with like gauze plugging all the holes. Um, <laughs> went to George Clooney's house. I was a bit late. Were you wait wait nice. wait? You went to his house? Well, and they never invited you to the house, but George Clooney did. Um, <laughs> and he offered me an espresso because he really believes that shit. And a Heineken. I had a Heineken. The Heineken mixed with the pain medication. I was, I was in the ether. I had no idea what was going on. Um, it's the single worst interview of my life. I talked to George Clooney for four hours. No quotes. Uh, didn't turn on my tape recorder. My writing looked like a six-year-old child's bubble write. It was like, and at the end of it, I had to go to the bathroom. I went to his toilet and. It was like the elevator doors opening in The Shining. Like I, no, and I hadn't, I hadn't felt a thing. I, I burst an incision and bled out, and then went back to the couch, and there was just army. It was a crime scene, and I just sat there trying to rub it out for like an hour. No, couldn't do it. And his manager called me later, and I was like, "Oh, here it is. I got to pay twenty five thousand dollars for this couch." Um, and he's like, "George really likes meeting you." I was like, oh, I like meeting George. And that was the end of the conversation. He just, he just ate the couch. And then and I told this story on Twitter. Someone has the couch. Someone has and the I, couch that you bled on. Well, so the stain apparently is not super noticeable. And the Twitter speculation, and it is possible, <laughs> is that I peed on the couch. <laughs> and that the blood was contained in my clothes, but that I urinated on the couch, which is... And that the stain looks more like a pee stain, apparently. But George took that thing to the end of his driveway and someone picked it up. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, former uh, sports line viewer, proud to say, snot rocket expert, and um, gallbladders, blood. Chris Jones, fabulous having you on. Thank you so much for joining us. The book's called The Eye Test, a case for human creativity in the age of analytics. And uh, Chris, best of luck with it. And one day... When this is all over with, you and I are going to meet uh, in person, and because um, it's, I want to hear more stories. Thanks, buddy. Do you want to go to a ball game? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right, man. Thanks. Awesome. Cheers. All right. Thanks, boys. Take care. How about that, eh? How Good about stuff. That? Yeah. Great stories. How about that, Chris? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah, you got to check him out on Twitter. Uh, Answell Jones. Oh, I just started following him uh, during that convo. Yeah, it's beautiful stuff. All right. Hey, this is the NFL wildcard weekend. Buffalo Bills three and a half point favorites tomorrow night in Orchard Park when they host the New England Patriots. Uh, they're expecting temperatures around minus 18. At that point, it doesn't matter if it's Celsius or Fahrenheit. Is that <laughs> that's about true. Right? It doesn't that's, really that's matter. That's about the same, I think. But once yeah. you're there, well, no, I, I think I think it's, no, I think they're both the same at about minus 20, uh, minus 30. Okay. I think minus 30 Celsius is the same as minus 30 Fahrenheit. Okay. That's, That's where they meet. Of, okay. But anyway, yeah, it's going to be cool. <laughs> cool. And then a night game in Western New York. What are they, nuts? I'm going to take the Patriots in this game because the line's three and a half, and I'm going to take the points. I think Buffalo is oh. going to win by a field goal, and if they do win, it's going to be thanks to Josh Allen's legs, but only by a field goal. Hey, but could, I worry about the Patriots because yeah. they can run the football, and they did in Buffalo a few weeks ago, uh, beat the Bills in Buffalo by running the football. Is that a good idea to bet against your team? Like, cause then when you're I'm watching not betting the- against them, okay. it's the spread, Mike, I say Buffalo wins. They win by three points. Yeah. But then but you're, the spread- you know, that's a, no, 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 no. The slippery slope. 
slippery slope. It's not a slippery slope. If you want to, if you want to win it's like, money, oh, I want my team to win, but only by I, three. Well, yeah, yeah, all right. I, but I no no. It's not. I want them. I think they're going to win. Mm. Not that I want them. I want them to win by seven touchdowns. Right. And and be easy and relax after the first quarter when they're up twenty eight nothing. But yeah. I fear that the game is going to come down to a field goal and only a field goal. And so since the line's three and a half. I suspect Buffalo will win the game with a field goal. I'll be thrilled that they won it and that they didn't cover. Yes. So there you go. Somebody said lace is out. I'm thinking of Scotty Norwood. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Other games include uh, tomorrow, the Bengals hosting the Las Vegas Raiders. Since he a five and a half point pick, I like the Raiders plus the points there. Okay. I just think, I don't know. I just think the Raiders for once are going to, you know, they may not win, but again, I don't think since he's going to beat the five and a half point uh, spread on Sunday, Tom Brady and the bucks host the Eagles Tampa favored by eight. I'm going to take Philadelphia. I'll take the points. I know it's Tom Brady, but I just, there's too many points. And later on Sunday, Dallas against the San Francisco 49ers from big D. This is going to be a huge game. Dallas favored by three. And I like Dallas to cover here. The Sunday nighter has the Pittsburgh Steelers in Kansas city to play the chiefs. Casey is a 13-point favorite. You know, Pittsburgh played like shit this year and still got in. But still, 13 points is a lot. I'll take Pittsburgh with the points. And on Monday night, yes, Martin Luther King Day, the L.A. Rams at home to the Arizona Cardinals. Rams favored by four, and I like L.A. to cover. What a weekend it's going to be, Mike. Woo! Very big. And before we go, Patrick Mahomes is the most liked skill position player in the National Football League, according to Morning Consult's annual survey of U.S. adults. By the numbers, Mahomes scored a net favorability rating of 34, which was calculated by taking the 41% of respondents with a favorable opinion of him mm. and subtracting the 7% with an unfavorable, op- right. unfavorable opinion. All right? Yeah, so that makes Mahomes, sense. Mahomes, by a long shot, is the uh, most favored guy. Um, second, Russell Wilson. Third is Rob Gronkowski. Fourth is Josh Allen. Ooh. Tied with Tom Brady. Yeah, because Brady's polarizing, right? You have the, some people just passionately dislike Tom Brady, but no one passionately dislikes Patrick Mahomes. No, no, no. He's too likable a guy. Okay, <laughs> we're done. That's it. We're finished. Episode 267 of Hebsey on Sports is done. Thanks to Toronto Mike for production and inspiration. Check him out at Toronto Mike and listen to his excellent podcast. Thanks as well to Scott Allen, the executive producer of this episode. And thanks to NateMakesSoap.com for sponsoring us to claim your free bar of soap delivered by Nate. As long as you're in a particular area of Toronto, bounded by St. Clair Avenue, King Street, Bathurst Street, and Keel Street. You get free bar of soap from Nate if you go to www.hebsy.online slash soap. Hebsy.online slash so there's no com there's no .ca it's hebsy dot online slash soap for your free bar of nate's amazing soap support local small business we do nate makes soap.com thanks for allowing us into your headspace we're back with another episode next week our guest will be fred patterson Woo! one half of the humble and fred show and a guy who started out as a sportscaster around the same time i did freddie and i were sportscasting buddies back in the Back in the early days of the Blue Jays. That's how far back we got lots of stories to tell. Well, about sports and other things. That's next week, okay? It'll be a good one. Until then, so long for now. 
This podcast has been produced by TMDS and accelerated by Rome Phone. Rome Phone brings you the most reliable virtual phone service to run your business and protect your home number from unwanted calls. Visit romephone.ca to get started.